Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast on our Christmas night program. Scott Kobaba with us, Dr. Scott. And we're talking about his work, Physicians Untold Stories. How many doctors were you able to interview for the book, Scott? It's probably close to 200, George. And uh, uh, I used to hang out into the doctor's lounge and, and uh, about 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, and the doctors would come in and I'd uh, grab them and, and say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing a book. I committed myself to doing a book, and I uh, would say, do you have any stories that uh, you think might be very interesting that uh, you can't explain scientifically? And I, I, and I was really surprised, George, the number of stories I got were, were and the ones I included were the ones that uh, gave me goosebumps or made me cry. And uh, I've had probably uh, 50 or 60 additional stories that, that uh, the doctors couldn't explain, but they weren't as as moving as some of the stories that I put in the book. Now, I guess you could say the same for nurses and uh, other kinds of medical practitioners, couldn't you? Exactly. Uh, After I started writing the book and nurses found out about it, I had a number of nurses come to me and say, I've got a story for you for the next book. And so uh, I've decided to start collecting some of those stories and uh, maybe make a a, a second or third book on on nurses and paramedical uh, professional stories. So... After interviewing these 200 doctors, did it change your thoughts or views about any of this? Well, you know, when you start talking to doctors that are ordinary people that have never revealed these stories before, and you get some stories that are so, so unusual, apparitions, dreams that that led them to a miracle cure, uh, actual miracles where, where, where people were cured that you just couldn't explain, uh, you have to say to yourself, there's something else out there. Uh, there's, there's some force. Uh, many people call it the universe. They can call it the God. Whatever you want to call it, uh, there's something out there. Most of the doctors, myself included, uh, think that this is a, a result of a divine intervention from God. But uh, there's something else out there. And that's, that strengthened my faith and my testimony that there is uh, something that looks out for us, that uh, helps us along our way, and that people that have passed, uh, and many of your listeners, I'm sure, with coronavirus have experienced the losses, and uh, I do think that those people uh, can uh, interact with us and and know what we're doing in, in this life. Some strange coincidences occurred for a couple of the doctors when uh, this was happening to them, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Um, there, are, uh, there were a number of docs that had uh, some, some interesting coincidences. Uh, one of the docs, uh, uh, John Showalter is his name. Uh, John, John is an uh, orthopedic hand surgeon. And the coincidence that happened to him was that uh, he was uh, training at the University of Iowa, and he wanted to stay there. Uh, and do his residency and his uh, fellowship there, but um, he wasn't accepted. So he ended up at University of Indiana. It's interesting that University of Indiana was one of the few schools at the time that had a program called microsurgery. And that mm-hmm. was a microscope that hatched little tiny blood vessels and little tiny nerves. And there was only one other school in the, in the country that, that offered that. But what John found out was that he loved this uh, microsurgery, and he, that's what his, he specialized in. So when he got out, uh, he was uh, able to do uh, hand replants, which means when a person cuts, uh, is, has a hand severed, uh, he can reattach the hand. And he was the first one to do that in the state of Illinois a, a while ago. And he found out uh, uh, one of the 
the kids that was working at a local factory uh, uh, ran a skill saw through his forearm. And uh, oh, jeez! Can you imagine? Ouch! So uh, they they quickly bound up the the arm so it wouldn't bleed. They took the hand, put it on ice, and they knew that John had the capability to do this, although he'd never done it before. Mm-hmm. They brought the kid to our local hospital. It's a 17-hour operation, and he saved his, his hand. And it was the first uh, surgery of that type in the state of Illinois. And he says the greatest thing that happened to him was that he was able to go to a, to a university that had this, this microsurgery program. Uh, he thought it was the greatest, uh, the, the, the greatest uh, blessing in his life Whereas uh, at first he was totally disappointed because he didn't get into the University of Iowa, but uh, what a coincidence that he was that he was uh, at the University of Indiana and learned this and used this throughout his career to save many many people. Things happen for a reason. What about Dr. John Mendenhall? Uh, Mendenhall had a few interesting uh, coincidences. Uh, Mendenhall is an orthopedic surgeon also, and. Uh, he, uh, Mendenhall had gone through some, a number of traumas in his life. Uh, he was in a uh, divorce situation. He was very disappointed with what was going on in his life. And, you know, some people, when they get to that, that point, think about whether their life is worth it. And I think he was at that point, sitting in his office, and all of a sudden uh, a fellow dropped off a, a plaque. And the plaque consisted of all of his relatives uh, in a tree, like a family tree, and he was at the bottom of the tree. And he looked at that plaque, and he decided that all those people were counting on him, and that if he if he gave up then, that everyone in that in that family tree would be disappointed. So what he decided to do is is go on with his life, and and uh, and uh, the fellow that dropped that off, he found out was uh, Dave Adams, who he hardly hardly even knew, and he was went to his church but hardly knew him. Well, it's interesting. A couple of years later. Uh, Mendenhall was, was leaving the hospital. It had been a really busy, busy uh, weekend. He was glad to be off, <clears throat> and he uh, decided to get a soda at the uh, doctor's lounge. Fort went past the doctor's lounge, forgot about uh, getting the soda there, decided to get it at the local uh, gas station. Uh, when he was thinking about uh, something else, he passed the gas station, also passed his uh, exit to, to go home. He thought that was a little unusual. He thought he really must have been very tired. But the next hospital down the street was one that he had privileges at, so he decided to stop there and get a soda there. So he pulled over, uh, pulled into the parking lot. Instead of going to the back of the hospital where the doctor's lounge was, he went to the front of the hospital. He has no idea why he did that. Went into the, uh, into the building, and all of a sudden, uh, a girl runs up to him and, and, and hugs him and says, uh, Dr. Mendenhall, thank you for, for, for coming. I, we've been paging you. We've been trying to call you. And uh, thank you for, for showing up. And he had no idea. No idea he was needed. No. no idea he was needed. The interesting thing is the person he was needed for was the granddaughter of the fellow that literally saved his life with that, with that plaque. Wow. The granddaughter had fallen wow. off a, um, a, a, a zip line and had broken both forearms, both bones and both forearms. He was one of the few people that could, that could do that particular kind of operation. But the hospital that he was at, this particular hospital, he'd never operated on because they never had the right equipment, you know, the screws, the plates, and so mm-hmm, forth. Mm-hmm. Well, as he was going to the ER to see the, the girl, uh, one of the nurses came up to him and said, Dr. Mendenhall, 
I just uh, wanted to let you know that the operating room committee had a meeting a couple weeks ago. We decided to try to encourage you and other doctors to come to the hospital, so we ordered a whole bunch of special screws and plates and uh, other uh, uh, equipment that you can use to do these in incredible fancy operations. And he said, well, that's very interesting. And she said, well, we just picked up the equipment this morning. Wow. <laughs> How about synchronicities are crazy, aren't they? So he went, uh, did the operation. It was a successful operation. He was able to, to complete it in an incredible time. And uh, it took a long time for, for her to rehab. But um, she wanted to be a concert pianist. And uh, they told her when she had the, uh, uh, the fractures that she would never play the piano again. Well, two years later, uh, Dr. Mendenhall got this postcard in the mail, um, and it said to, to the effect that um, uh, uh, Judy, uh, who is the uh, person that was injured, uh, is inviting you to her uh, concert, uh, and uh, Mendenhall went. Uh, he said that she played like an angel. Wow. Was the Mary's Christmas story the one you just told us, or is this a separate, a, diff- a different one? Um, Mary's uh, Christmas Carol was the one I told you about, uh, about local, but but there are a couple points that we didn't we didn't get to, and one okay. was that Mary was kind of a curmudgeon. Uh, you have you know we always have patients that we love, and then patients that we put up with. But, That's right. But, uh, you you got to deal with them, but you don't want to. Right, and Mary was always really unhappy about you didn't fill my prescription right, or you were late for seeing me, and, and those kinds of things, and. And uh, when she had that event where she went to the top of the room and saw the operation, her grandmother came to her. Her grandmother had been dead for a number of years and told her that she wasn't very nice and that if she, was, uh, if she wanted to, to, to go to heaven with her grandmother, she'd have to, to change her ways. And after that, Mary was the nicest person in the world. She'd, brought us, she'd bring us cookies. She'd be very thankful for everything we did for her. And I, I, that's kind of a Christmas story. It reminds me of the Christmas Carol with Scrooge. She, she was a transformed person. She lived for a number of years afterwards, helped her, her uh, widowed father, and uh, it was just a, a total transformation. It reminds me of, uh, we called it Mary's uh, Christmas Carol. And Scott, there has been stories, too, that some of these doctors have had premonitions, which are very uh, prominent part of their experience, too, isn't it? Yes, yeah. We've had a number of docs with, with some premonitions. The, Probably the, the, one of my favorite stories is, is Steve Heim, who was also a, a spine surgeon and a trauma surgeon. And Steve was uh, kind of uh, burned out and had to take a weekend off and, and went to uh, Keystone, Colorado. And he was an expert skier. He's quite an athlete. And uh, they did skiing in the morning with his wife and his wife's sister. And then in the afternoon, they decided to go on this rugged mountain that was kind of off in the distance. And uh, they got up on the ski lift. And as, as they were going up, they started to snow, and then it got snowier, and the wind started to come up, and the temperature dropped, and they were in a full, 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 uh, full blizzard by the time they got to the top of the mountain. So they got out the map as to where to go. They couldn't see very much in front of them, but they decided to ski down because they had no other choice. So as they're skiing down the, the hill, they came to a grove of trees, and, and you can go to the right or the left, and uh, Steve went to the right and didn't realize the girls went to the left. So he decided that you know, he's an expert skier. Uh, there was powder snow about five feet deep. Decided to ski through the to the uh, trees to get to the girls on the other side. The thing that happened there was was very un- unusual. He had this feeling all of a sudden that there was something, this premonition that he had to do something that would would be of life and death proportions. He had no idea what that was, and he had that. Did you ever get that deep feeling inside that there's really some something awful happening, and, and, and you can feel it in your chest? 
that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the feeling he had. And all of a sudden he said that despite the, the blizzard and the wind blowing, everything became quiet. Everything became silent. And it was really this eerie feeling. And he stopped skiing. He took off his skis and, and didn't know what to do. He just stood there for a minute trying to decide what to do and why this was happening to him. So then he decided to walk up the, up the mountain. And he was walking and climbing, walking and climbing. He was going in the opposite direction from where the girls were, were waiting for him. And they were still waiting for him. And all of a sudden, they came to this large pine tree, and there's a there's a tree well that goes down when there's a lot of snow to the base of the of the, the, the the trunk of the tree. And he looked down, uh, and there he knew why he why he was there. Uh, underneath the tree was the shape of a body covered with snow. Steve's a trauma surgeon, so he knew exactly what to do. He brushed Jeez. off the snow off his face. He looked like the person was dead, but he reached for the carotid artery. He had a pulse. It was a thready pulse. The guy was in shock and unconscious. He called for help. Unfortunately, one of the last skiers that hurt down the mountain heard his call for help, came to his side. He said, get the snow patrol uh, out here as soon as possible. And so the uh, the skier went down the mountain. About 20 minutes later, there was the ski patrol came up with a gurney, loaded the guy, unconscious guy, under the the gurney, took him down to the lodge and off to the hospital. By this point, Steve was shaking with adrenaline because he had landed. I bet. My God. uh, And... uh, made it back down to the lodge with the girls that were still waiting. He got his reward, a cup of hot chocolate, and the next day he found out that the skier was perfectly fine. He'd splinted his leg with his undergarments and a tree branch, and that was an incredible splinting job, and uh, that he saved the the skier. The uh, interesting part, I asked Steve, you know, what did you learn from this? And he said, you know, if you don't believe that there's something else out there that directs your your path uh, after an event like this, uh, you'll you'll never believe that. The interesting thing, George, was I said, well, what, you know, is there anything else that happened that day? And, and Steve said, yeah, I was saved, too. Jeez. And I said, what do you mean you were saved? And he said, uh, two years before that, my father died on the, on the slope. And uh, he had a, uh, a heart attack while skiing with me. I tried to rescue him, do CPR. It was, it was a, it failed, and he died. And I, I've been holding that guilt with me for, for the last two years, thinking that I was in charge and, and I was responsible for his death. And he said, now I know that uh, I had a second chance here with this other skier and that I know that someone else is in charge of life and death and not me. And that day I lost my guilt. Uh, so there are two people that were saved that day, the skier and myself. And, and himself. And it, some strange things even happened to you to get the book published, didn't it? Well, there were there were some some uh, interesting things that happened, and, and lots of little coincidences, George, that that you just couldn't couldn't explain other than just someone was was guiding me on this on this journey to to publish the book. Uh, I had one circumstance. I had a, a lady that uh, Barb Kaminsky, who is uh, a lady that was actually miraculously cured of her multiple sclerosis here in in, in Wheaton. Uh, my wife actually was uh, uh, went to school with her, and I was trying. I I. I got the doctor to give me the story. I needed to get her permission to, to publish the, the story. Right. I couldn't find her anywhere in the country. And so uh, I put out letters and calls and so forth, and nothing, nothing, nothing. The day before, the night before I had to submit the manuscript to the publisher, I get a phone call. And who is it? Barb Kaminsky. She said, oh, I got your you go. messages about six months ago, and I just happened to decide tonight to, to give you a call. And I got her permission. I was able to submit her story and publish it. So there were a number of things like that, George, that happened to me on this road. And I think when you're involved with something that's going to do some good in the world, I think there's, there's some, 
there's something that helps you along the way, and, and, and I think it's the divine hand of, of God. I do, too. So, so you say coincidences. I don't believe in coincidences. I, I think fate takes over and makes these things happen, Scott. I think so, too. And I think, you know, there are probably some coincidences, but, but there were so many things that happened to me, uh, you know, along the route uh, of writing this book that I, I believe that there are some, these were not coincidences. This was, this was the hand of God. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.